Don't let me forget, please, when uh, tomorrow we deal with the last segment of Covenant Nurture, that I have Pastor Al come forward and tell about the Westminster Family Project, because this is a catechetical instruction tool that exists right in your presbytery. You should know about it. It involves the flashcards. It involves uh, material that is... You circulate this right in the worship service, don't you? It's a bulletin insert, and you should know about this. Why should you hear about Tyson's ideas from 3,000 miles away? You've got some great ideas right here in your midst. It's probably free. I don't know. Anyway, it's cut rate. I mean, it's. It's reduced. We have a sale. It's reduced. Okay. But anyway, for sure, we want to hear from him tomorrow. Now, since you pinched ten minutes away from me with that extra long uh, thing where the kids were having so much fun with it, what do you call that ball that you were kicking? Hacky? Hacky? Hacky sack. That was neat. How do, you, how do you do that? I'm utterly blown away at your... It's the music. It's the music. Well, since, since you pinched ten minutes from me, I'm going to take five back. And I'm going to go to 10 minutes to 12. Will that screw us up? All right. Okay, where we were when we were so rudely interrupted by the rest of the day is that we are about ready to listen to Lazarus uh, do this song uh, that I had the wrong, we had the wrong uh, part of the tape. This is uh, Lazarus doing Looking Through and... Uh, what did I say? Yes. What's that? Page 20, uh, 19 on my page. This is a Christian rock group. Let me read this again. Of the 60s, which wrote and performed songs of the soft rock genre. They produced, to my knowledge, only this one album and then departed from the scene. At least I never heard from them thereafter. I think it's a shame because they have really very, very powerful music. Now, I ask, this is the question I want to be in your mind as you listen to Looking Through. What biblical passage, I'm talking about a specific passage, it's in the New Testament, so you got a hint ahead of time, that might have formed the basis for the lyrics of this song. I hope you can understand the lyrics. And then when you answer that question, I want to know what you think of the music. Does it support or contradict the message? And why do you answer as you do? Lazarus, looking through.
think I still have the wrong one. Cut it back. Can you? I can't believe that I've done this to you, but go right, fast forward. About three minutes, four minutes of. I'm sorry for the technical glitch. I'm using up my extra five minutes. I should have taken the time to make sure we had the right... This is a problem with cassettes. That's why I love CDs. You just go, boom, number eight. I haven't heard this for a long time. That's why I wasn't aware first how it began. Said the truth. This is it, for sure. Back up a little, just a little. The blue. Okay, he's talking to his friend. He's either writing a letter or he's thinking about what he's going to say in a letter. And that's all the hint I'm going to give you. See if you can find where it roughly begins. Well, all his songs. Back up. I guarantee you, this is it. Here I sit. Here I sit. Worlds away. Worlds from away you. from you. Never knowing what you write. Never knowing what you write. Of who or when. And why they do. Now, what comes next 
prompts my question, what biblical passage in the New Testament does this evoke? you hide away. I'm looking through right on you. What New Testament passage does that evoke? Yes. Which says, I don't have it memorized. Not a bad guess. I hadn't thought about that one. Come on. Yes. Which is? Oh, good. But that would, that would be other believers, wouldn't it? He's writing to an unbeliever friend. Yes. I thought you, you caught that. He, I hope these words don't offend, he said earlier. You know, all, you're weaving intellectual rhymes all the time. You know, you're not getting it. And now he says, but I'm looking through right on you. I'll give you a hint. Romans. Before the middle of Romans. Earlier. (laughs) Okay. Doesn't Romans 2 say, believe, unbelievers, they really know God. Nantus ton theon. Knowing God, they worship Him not as God but became vain in their imaginations. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the creature who is blessed forever. So what this believer is saying to his unbelieving friend is, you know, you're weaving your intellectual rhymes, you don't have the answers, but I'm looking through right on you. And I'm suggesting that what he's saying is, I know something about you. 
I know that you are a creature made after the image of God and that you are suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. You may not like it, but I understand where you are. And I think that this song then would be a prelude, presumably, to further letters to his friend in which maybe he will then present uh, the gospel to him. But this is, a, this is a prelude to the gospel, isn't it? It's that we dare to say to unbelievers that we know something about them that they don't even admit about themselves. It's not that they're, they've chosen the wrong, uh, a, a religion that I don't happen to agree with. They are rebels against the true and living God. And I know that about you. Okay, that's just my suggestion that that's what Lazarus is getting at in his song, looking through, I'm looking through right on you. I see you. I see you who you are. And uh, I hope that you will listen further to me when I present Christ to you. All right. Music and the human temperament. We're back to uh, our consideration of um, miscellaneous subjects. Uh, There are these biblical uh, passages that you can look up which uh, connect music to how we feel. Uh, Music is very close to our emotions. I won't take the time to look up all those passages, but you can look them up, and you'll see there's a very close relationship between our feelings, our emotions, and the music that we are expressing. In some cases, the music elicits those emotions. In other cases, we have those emotions, and then we engage in music in accordance with those emotions. Music and serenity... Think about lullabies. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, but every mother, I imagine even an Afro uh, woman on the Serengeti uh, who is uh, uh, putting her little child to sleep has some sort of a lullaby. It may not sound like our lullabies, but I have a sneaking suspicion that lullabies are found all over the world. Uh, People everywhere fall asleep to the music of their clock radio. What a great invention. You can set it so that it'll play your music, and then it'll go off at a certain time, presumably after the time you've already fallen asleep, so it's not on all night. Uh, people sing while traveling. How many times have we done that uh, in our, on our long trips? Music and friendship. We have fun songs. We have baby songs. We have camp songs. And my favorite of all, we have piano duets. I can't think of a more fun thing to do with another person than to play a piano duet. You just sort of become one with your four hands. And uh, it's just kind of neat. And uh, not maybe everybody can do piano duets, but uh, you find your thing with music that you enjoy. Then there's music and romantic love. One of the names of the books of the Bible, which is about romantic love, the Song of Solomon, is called the Song of Songs, literally, in the Hebrew. Cyrano de Bergerac. We've all read that play and we know how that poetry that Cyrano could express was was taken over by his friend and they shouldn't have been doing it, but uh, the friend was wooing Roxanne, you know, and he didn't know how to be poetic, uh, but Cyrano did. But of course, Cyrano had had that huge nose and he didn't think that any girl would would take a second look at him, but he was a poet. And then his poetry came through his uh, very handsome friend, who then uh, wooed the girl and got the girl. And then I won't tell you the rest of it in case you hadn't read the play. You can find out. Also, I want you to listen to a love song from an opera. This is the only opera, well, other than um, Les Mis, if that's considered an opera or a musical, I'm not sure which. 
But uh, this one is a genuine opera. It's uh, Samson and Delilah by Emile Saint-Saëns. And Marilyn Horne is singing, and she's singing, you'll pardon my French, Mon cœur s'ouvre à ta voix. Uh, my heart at your sweet voice does what? Uh, opens. Yeah, I forgot the verb. The verb is in the dots there. My heart opens at your sweet voice. Let's listen to Marilyn. And the thing I want you to listen to here is not only the, the excellent... Turn it down. Keep it going, but just turn it down a little bit. Not only the exquisite character of her voice and the beauty of, it, of the song, but also what she does with that seventh note. It's the do re mi fa sol la ti, which is heading for the do, and she sharps it ever so slightly. She twists it because she's anticipating. She's so anxious to get to the do, and I'll tell you when we get there. You'll love it. This is probably the greatest mezzo ever, Merlin Horn. Mezzo-soprano is a soprano that doesn't quite get as high as the other sopranos. So she can therefore sing low. She's kind of like a combination soprano and alto. We know that Delilah didn't really love Samson. Well, I don't know. True love, was it? But she's wooing him here. It's in the Bible. There it is. You'll get that again. How many of you have ever heard this song
did have a chance. about an A flat, which is the absolute, probably, outside limit of her range, but she nails it. Didn't she? Marilyn Horn. Music and Romantic Love. Poor Samson. He lost his head, uh, hair over it. <laughs> Music and action. Music is stimulating for physical therapy, I understand. It's also stimulating for milking cows. In New Zealand, I was pastor of the Reformed Church of Hamilton, and in that congregation were 25 dairy farmers, Dutch dairy farmers from Holland, emigrated to New Zealand. They had their farms in the Waikato. I used to help them do haying. Boy, that was fun. I loved it. And I also would go into their milking sheds. They, New Zealand, the 25-mile radius of Hamilton, New Zealand, is the most milk cows anywhere in the world, even more than Denmark. I mean, they export powdered milk to India. Great jolly gobs of it. And those cows, they, they, those cows, they produce milk to music. In those milking sheds, the, uh, the Dutch uh, dairy farmers play classical music. The cows love it. Boy, they produce like crazy. And then think about commercials. What commercials do you remember? The ones that have tunes, right? 
Sure you do. Music and the home. Would you please incorporate music into your family devotions? Guitar accompaniment preferred? Somebody learn how to play the jolly guitar and uh, put it in your devotions. What do husband and wife do who have diametrically opposed music tastes? Listen to the classical music. Oh, no. Listen to the what? Listen to the man's music. He's not married. You know, I am an unabashed, unapologetic compromiser on this one. Meet halfway. That is, don't listen to mushy, no-good contemporary music and mushy, no-good classical music. Listen to very good classical music half of the time and very good popular music or whatever she likes or he likes, the other one, half of the time. Meet each other halfway. Ought parents to give children music lessons? The Pope Catholic? Even at great cost and even when fruit is slow to appear? Yes. You don't send them to school and then as soon as they say, but Mommy, I don't like school, you say, oh, okay, well then you don't have to go. You send them to school and you see what develops and you give them the music lesson and you see what develops. There is a chain difference, however. I think there might come a time when you can stop. But let that be longer than maybe you thought. Give it, give it a real good go before you stop. I, I really like music, as you might have guessed, but I took piano lessons only for four years, from I was 10 until I was 13. I stopped music lessons at 13 because I was more interested in baseball than I was in music at age 13, and my parents were quite willing to let me stop. So basically, I didn't do much with the piano from 13 until about 18. But when I got to college, for some reason, I got interested again. I took music appreciation. I was in the Wheaton College Choir. And I met a lot of other kids that were musically inclined, and I got challenged again, and I started buying mu piano music, and I started playing. And when I came home before I married, during the first year when I was in seminary, I was basically playing the piano during that whole first year because I was really into it. I hadn't been taking lessons for five years, and I didn't have any teacher. But I had the fundamentals, and it was now time for Tom Tyson to be interested in it. So at my time and in my place and in my rate, I did it. And so relax with your kids. If they say, I want to stop, and, and they've really given it a good go, let them stop. Uh, they'll probably pick it up again later. What about encouraging a greater appreciation of classical music? Of course, you're a captive audience here, and you had to listen to screaming sopranos, even mezzo-sopranos with horns, except she didn't have a horn on the, in that music. <laughs> what did Delilah wear on her head? <laughs> Is that a good thing to play classical music to your kids? I would say yes, but don't force them. Just put it on. Just put it on, and if they want to listen, they'll listen. Don't tell them to listen. But smile when they come in the room and stay. Just smile. And don't say, good, I'm glad you're here. It's about time. <laughs> Try to let them make the choice. Let the music draw them in. May a Christian be a professional musician? <laughs> well... Hardly. <laughs> Perhaps. I think it, it's difficult. Uh, like professional baseball. You know, you have to play on Sunday and 
Same thing happens in professional music, I suppose, and there are drawbacks and difficulties. But uh, I think it, it sort of must be possible for a Christian to, to be a professional musician, but uh, it, it may be very difficult, and uh, such a, a gal or a guy may run into real conflicts with uh, his or her uh, uh, conscientious beliefs. But I think we should encourage that. Our daughter Natalie is a singer, uh, but I didn't think that she had a voice or the uh, ability to be a professional singer. Uh, and I didn't tell her that, but I was very, very happy when she decided she wanted to go in music education. So she's a graduate of Geneva College, and she's now teaching music in a Christian school in Robinson Township in western Pennsylvania. And she teaches all the children from kindergarten to senior high uh, in a small Christian school of about 110 students. And she's having a great time. And she sings for them and she teaches them how to sing. But uh, she's not going to be a professional musician. She's going to be a professional teacher of lots of kids uh, to make music. And she's very happy and, and I'm very happy about that. Must a Christian only make church music? Surely not. There's a place for that, but uh, it's not the only kind of music. Take five, our final take five. I've got to cover this up, so I've got to get something here to cover it up. All right. We've got some new music here, at least on our Take 5 program. The title of this lesson is Major or Minor? Well, first of all, we look at this word, vivace, which means what in Italian? Lively. Okay, we're going to be lively, whatever it is. I wonder what it's supposed to be. Well, let's look at the uh, key signature. Nothing there. No sharps or flats in the key signature. Looks like we're in the key of C, right? Maybe. Probably. Maybe. But wait, does it sound joyful? Try it with la-las. Okay, uh, we, we, we quite possibly could be in the key of C because usually when there's no sharps or flats, we're in the key of C. Usually. And uh, what note is this? C, so that's do, isn't it? Piece of cake. Let's just make sure we get our right do here. Do, there's our do, la. But we're going to do la-la. Now remember, that means that all of these notes are on the white notes, so there are no black notes or half steps. These are all the, the regular steps of the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Okay, there's the, where's that do? There it is. Okay, la, here we go, ready. Here's the beat, one. Oh, we forgot to look at the time signature. How many beats per measure? What note gets one beat? All right, here we go, one, two, three, la. La, 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 Ah, we all know that. Row, row, row your boat, of course. Merrily, merrily, merrily. So, uh, does it sound happy? Yes. So, what key are we in? C, C major. But now try this one.
Let's go through the same routine. Adagio. What's that mean? Slow. Contemplative. Careful. Not rushed. Uh, key signature? Uh, uh, time signature? How many beats per measure? How many, what note gets a quarter, what, what note gets one beat? How many beats does a quarter note get? <laughs> uh, what, um, what staff are we in? Now remember, this one, you're in the treble clef. This, the other one, row, 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 your boat started way down there, didn't it? Where's this one start? Way up high. So, if this were a C, an octave above that would be there, wouldn't it here? Do. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. But that would only take you to that space. Where does this start? Do, re, mi, way up there. And I'm losing my voice. <coughs> so there's our first note. Ooh, I got a little sharp. There's our first note. Now, let's try to la-la this. Can you get way up there? Hamid. Mm. All right, here we go. Daggio, slow. La, 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 la. What happened? Sounds mournful. That's because we're actually not in C major at all, even though the key signature seems to tell us just that. We thought we were going to be in C major, but we're really in, surprise, A minor. Because A minor, which is called the relative minor, that is, that it is relative to C. It is the relative minor of C. Here's the C uh, diatonic scale. Now, when you go down two notes from C, that's an A, right? Now, play only white notes, and here's what you get. You see? It's just white notes, but we're not in this key, C major. We're in the relative minor of C major, which is A minor. And that's why, even though there are no sharps or flats here, and we thought this was going to be in the key of C, after we la-la'd it, we, sounded, we found out that it sounded really sa sa uh, sa sad and mournful. And that tells us you're not in C, you're in A minor. Let's do it again. La la, ready? La 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 la. I didn't make up that tune. What tune is it? That it is. Black is the color of my true love's hair, a famous folk song of Stephen Foster. 
Not sure who wrote it. That's it. That's all the music lessons you get from me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, music maker Red Running got Red Running back there? Hope, it's the Hope one don't play it yet I want you to listen to this this group called Red Running was a Christian band that performed contemporary music of entirely original composition during the 1980s. It was comprised of our son-in-law, Dr. Christian Smith, his wife, our daughter Emily, and three others. Chris wrote the songs, words and music, and played the bass guitar. Emily provided the vocals, and the rest of the band supplied lead guitar, drums, and keyboard. Red Running was disbanded in the early 90s for various reasons, not the least of which was Emily and Chris's new parental responsibilities. They are now blessed with three children, three of our 18 grandchildren, our Smiths, and there is little hope that the band will be revived. Chris, by the way, is a sociology professor at the University of North Carolina. Emily, in addition to her maternal duties, is an us-born book sales representative. Some of the numbers of Red Running, they, they made two uh, cassette tapes. Some of their numbers could be designated protest songs, inveighing as they do against war. This is Chris, of course, is a sociologist. Uh, he's a believer. But he inveighs against war, against maltreatment of children, and materialism. You know, I'm not going to play all those songs, but just one. Few express the gospel in open traditional terms. However, it is not absent, for instance, in the song After the Storm. Listen carefully to the words, and I think you will agree that the atoning work of Christ for our salvation is not only powerfully, but clearly presented. I simply must leak this particularly insightful question that comes from the lyrics. At one point, Emily will ask as she's singing, And did chaos scream when the center of being tore itself in two to break the fall? What's she talking about? What? The crucifixion, yes. When, not the incarnation, really the crucifixion, when the center of being tore itself in two, I think, to break the fall. What's the fall there that it broke? The fall in Adam, right. Okay, after the storm. That's not it. Hold it. Cut. it. Do you have the? Do you have the? Uh, do you have the case? This is after the storm. After the storm is it? Is it the last one on there or the third? What is it listed as? Are you on the B side? Okay. Which which numbered song is it? On the B side. Last one. So you're going to have to fast forward. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulties. It's not his fault. It's my fault. For not checking to make sure that's where we were on the tape. I hate tapes. I love CDs. 
You mean for the next time I give this? Okay. Here. Keep going. By the way, Chris has been very well published. He's put out a lot of books on evangelicalism. It must be the last piece on the tape, right? This is going to be worth the wait. Not because it's my daughter, but because it's good. I think there are six songs on there, and it's, it's the third of one side or the other. While they're looking for it, let me talk about instrumental accompaniment of congregational singing. You can take your time, guys. I'm going to go on with something else. See if you can find it. Uh, I know we have more than one instrumental accompanist here, so I'm not talking to any one person. I'm glad for that, (laughs) because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. Remember that your purpose when you're playing the piano or the organ or whatever for congregational singing in church, your purpose is threefold. A, to help the congregations to stay together in pitch, melody, and meter. All three. So you should be very secure that you're in the right key. Well, that's obvious. If you're looking at at the music, you're going to be in the right key. So that's a given. The melody, you ought to make sure that the melody comes out very clearly in your playing. Don't let that be lost, whatever else you do. And meter is particularly important meter, how fast or how slow, you set it. Because your purpose as an accompanist is not to find out what the majority of them want to do and then agree with that. Your purpose is to decide yourself what you think is the proper meter and then set that and then stick to it. Even if some of the congregations start out like they want to go slower or faster than you, don't give in. Not because you are smarter than them, but because somebody has to make the decision. And that's the purpose of the instrumentalist, to bring everyone together. And then everyone in the congregation will be willing to accept the fact that you are the leader at that point. So you say, song should be sung softly. Play softly. If the song should should be sung with exuberance and with forte, play it that way on the piano. Don't play every accompaniment exactly the same way. Express in your piano accompaniment what you believe to be the proper dynamic level. That's loud or soft. And now here comes the most important one of all, rhythm. Now, I want to know, why did we do that in When the road is called up yonder when the roll is... Why did we do that? Did he tell you to do it that way? 
Good. If there is a leader of the singing, then I agree with you. The instrumentalist should follow the leader. But in most congregational singing, the, the minister is just announcing the hymn and the, the pianist. So it was Alan's fault through and through. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called... That's the way it is in the book. Now, I know, we always do it the other way. <laughs> but, uh, okay, what I'm saying is, if there's disagreement, then the pianist should, or the leader, who is ever leading, should set, the, should set it. And if you decide to do it your way, guess what the congregation will do? They will follow you. They will follow you. Okay, rhythm. Uh, last one is, be an assistant to the praise of God, not the display of virtuosity. How many times we've seen him accompany us do stuff? And that's not really your purpose, to do stuff. If the purpose of the stuff, you know, at the end of the line where there's five beats, if you're going... If you're doing that in order to make sure that the congregation holds it out, the full five beats, I would accept that. But if you have no other reason for doing the flourishes other than, that's a pretty neat flourish, isn't it? <laughs> uh, don't do it. I don't think uh, that should be done. I think the accompanist should do everything that he or she does to serve the congregation, to serve the purpose of uniting the congregation in making the best possible music. Uh, to the Lord. Have we found after the storm? My fault. Mia culpa. Well, this is going to be worth it. You're going to love this after the storm, I think. I'm hyping it so much that it doesn't have a chance now. Well, play a little bit, and I'll tell you whether you got it.
pleasure of being torn itself in two. They performed in numerous music bars, you know, nightclub type places that were frequented by unbelievers, not believers. And this was acceptable. Can you believe it? 
It might be something to do with the cryptic, somewhat cryptic nature of their words. They, but people did come up to them afterwards and say, what were you talking about? What, what, what is this chaos screaming as the center of being broke itself at two? And, well, who were you speaking of? And then they could witness to them. So they found that that was a point of contact with unbelievers because it was music that unbelievers wouldn't immediately turn off. And then you had an, in, an input into their, into their lives. But uh, as I say, uh, Emily's into uh, child rearing right now. <laughs> okay, time. <laughs>